Welcome to another episode of the Property Nomads podcast. This is going to be an absolute blockbuster of an episode. They're delighted to be joined by Tina Wenham of Target 5. Tina's been involved in property for over 20 years now and was also the president of Brighton and Hove Estate Agents in 2018 at a role that lasts just for that year. Uh, with a plethora of experience uh, doing a multitude of different things, uh, Tina, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, really excited about this uh, target. Not, not just talking about Target Five as such a, a massive company down in the Sussex area, uh, Brighton area. For those that are not too sure where Sussex is, and, and doing a, a multitude of, of projects. So we'll get onto that in a bit. But I suppose let, let's roll back to how it all began. How did you get into property in the first place? Well, this is this is quite a story, um, and one which I'm told by all other property professionals is quite weirdly common, in um, certainly in estate agency world, which is where I started. So I was all set to go to university. I was having a nice time across the summer, and I got asked to cover um, some phones at an estate agency office for some holiday cover for a friend of mine, actually, Um, and spent two weeks answering phones, running around like an absolute lunatic, trying to find um, properties that on my push bike that I didn't know where they were, to go and do view, all this sort of stuff, and just totally fell in love with it. Um, Came to the end of the two weeks and the director of that business said right we want you to we want you to come and work with us went and saw my parents and went yeah you know that university (laughs) placement that I've got I'm not going to do that because I'm really excited about going to work in property thankfully really supportive parents were like fine if that's what you want to do and within another two weeks I was working full-time six days a week at the time and I think it was like 7.30 till 6.30 at night, 7.30 a.m. till 6.30 at night. And at that time, it was literally running, like you would back-to-back appointments all day. And as I say, I didn't drive yet. So I was um, running around Brighton and Hove on my on my push bike doing viewing. So, um, yeah, was a, quite an interesting start to it. But, yeah, so I, and then sort of went through a state agency over the years that way. Awesome. So I'll be honest with you, that's the first time I've ever heard that style of story. I, I can't say that's common in the people that I've spoken to, but it's certainly one way to get started. <laughs> <laughs> what was it in particular then about that that you really enjoyed? I think I just I just fell in love from, with property from from the get go. Really, um, I <laughs> I my I think my first ever viewing was with a property investor who was going to convert a studio flat on Hove Seafront into a one bedroom flat, and that was my first viewing ever doing it. And you know, I just was in awe of what they were doing, and I just it was so fast paced and it was loads of fun and it was um at that time you know it was pretty easy to sell property you know things were really on the up and it was just exciting and fun and and the architecture in brighton i i'd fallen in love with it and i think it had just it just kind of yeah excited me and set me on fire really and i just 
just got a bit of a thirst for it then. And I think I didn't even know at that point that I was salesy. Um, and it and it just sort of happened. Um, and I think when you're sort of 16, 17 years old and you're told, come on, come and work for us, it's going to be amazing. You're sort of like, you know, big bright lights, head turned um, mm-hmm. sort of thing. You know, all the people who were in like the upper management levels in that in those days were, were driving fast cars and going for lunch. They weren't doing any other job. Um, and that sort of was like, at that stage, I was like, I want a bit of that, you know. Um, never actually got there, but <laughs> at the time I thought I want a bit of that. But yeah, it was, um, it was quite exciting and fun and just really, as I say, fast paced. Yeah, it's, um, I think most things are, are always good fun when you when you start out. It's just that perseverance after a, a while. I mean, property is, is one of those things that you can certainly have your good days. Oh, 100% you can have your good days. And also, you can have quite a few days of, uh, as I would describe it. Um, yeah, but they, it's not easy. You know, the, the positives outweigh the negatives easily. Yeah, properties, property isn't easy. And the more... Um, the harder it is, the more exciting the, the results are. And I think you know, anybody thinking about getting into property, you have to be prepared to work really hard. And, and I joke a little bit about it was easy to make money back then, but it was hard work. You know, it was long hours, long days. It was ruthless. It was, you know, every, each salesperson to their own. You know, there was no, it, it, you had to put the graft in to, to get the results. And, and, um, and that sort of is part of what made it fun as well. But, it, you know, it, it was hard work. Still is sometimes. <laughs> that's, uh, that's life. I know um, my brother started out doing uh, a sim- similar thing, actually, uh, estate, agency, estate agency, and that was back in Reading years and years ago. Similar thing, uh, 11, 12-hour days. And, you know, I think over time he got a bit, he got a bit frustrated with it because it didn't quite work for him. But he, ironically then, he, but he loved it or it didn't work for him, so that, I still can't figure that one out. But he's ended up being um, a commercial property manager for BNP Paribas up in up in London, which he thoroughly enjoys doing. So for him, he's still involved in it. He's just learnt to adapt to a new section of our property. But anyway, with all due respect to my lovely, wonderful brother, this podcast isn't about him. So hey-ho, sorry, mate. But moving forward then, so you, you know, you're, in, you're involved in the agency work, uh, you're loving that, etc. Uh, then at some point, I guess you have bought your first property. Uh, how did that come about? And what did you learn from that experience? Um, that came about relatively late on, actually. I, I was I was living living the, you know, central Brighton, young, fun, single and easy life for quite a long, long period of time. Um, and I met my then partner, um, who I was with for quite a long time, and we bought off our home together. You know, it wasn't an investment property; it was a home. Um, but in true uh, property person style, it was not at all what I thought I wanted. Not what I told the agents I was looking for. When I went to see it, it my partner at the time was like, "You, you want us to live here?" It was falling apart it had an old 70s melamine horrible brown kitchen with green tiles it was it was awful (laughs) 
and and, um, and like, yeah but look what we can do with it and I think it was then that I sort of realized that, that I could possibly see some stuff that some other people couldn't in property um we didn't have very much money and it was back in the time of 115 120% mortgages so we got this ridiculous mortgage that we probably couldn't afford um and then lived in it in its current state for quite a few years developed it um eventually developed it made the mistakes spent too much money on it did did it uh, in really high end you know and thank goodness it was my home and i was staying there because it it's so easy to just get carried away with specification and that was a huge huge part of my learning doing it on my own house was like don't <laughs> don't get swept away by what the contractor says don't get swept away by with, with sort of too high end and always try and have a mind on what it's going to be worth ultimately um and so thankfully we, were, we weren't moving away from it we were living in it for a while so we did end up making money on it when we eventually sold it um but that was and then i got um some inheritance um and i uh bought property out of the area with it um and that was a ready-made rental and that sort of just kind of rented very nicely and then when I was I was in age I was an estate agent for about 15 16 years something like that um and um it was when I went to come to work with Andy here at Target 5 and and our other business Sussex Property Partnership that I sold everything basically and put all of my money into into being my own boss then um so and then Andy and I started doing projects together and and yeah, here we are. Oh, fantastic stuff. Well, I think the thing that you highlighted there, which is very important, is that you're happy to admit that you've made mistakes. I think that's, you know, normally some people have difficulty with that. So the fact that you've just gone, yeah, Rob, I've made this, you know, balls up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you've learned from that. And you're also learning from the mistakes that other people have made. And as you say, still made money on it at the end of the day. So that's that's happy days. So kudos, kudos for that. Cause it's sometimes quite difficult to hold your hands up, isn't it? Uh, you know, to admit that something's not gone as well as it, as it should do. Yeah. I'm thankful now that we don't, you know, we, we don't make as many mistakes. Um, I, I would never say we don't make mistakes because I think that's just, you know, even recently we put a project, project together for a client, not one, well, not one of our own. And we, I wouldn't necessarily say we made a mistake, but the client at the time wanted to put in a very specialist heating system that was Wi-Fi controlled and they could control it from home because they were going to include bills. They wanted to make sure that they kept an eye on. And what has ultimately happened is if your Wi-Fi isn't working for any reason, you have no heating. And now in hindsight, we're like, we should have been a bit, more firm about is this really the right thing to do and you know we're always learning every project we learn something um i don't like to necessarily call them mistakes anymore because they are learnings because as long as the project is still successful then it's not a mistake necessarily and um, it's just uh put it into the box of what do we need to consider for the next one um and we always look at how we can mitigate and pivot on problems that come off along along the projects to make sure that we can 
still make sure it makes money because there are problems that that is property that you won't you won't do if you're expecting to get into property and do projects and not have problems then then don't do it because that's not that's not the reality (laughs) (laughs) yeah that that's a that's a very key thing to point out without a shadow of a doubt i do you know we were speaking to our own clients and, and you know to be fair Aaron does most of that i don't as such but you have to have that dose of reality you know if you're getting into if you think you're just gonna you know jump in somewhere it's gonna be plain sailing your waters are going to be smooth there's going to be no issues no challenges then yeah you've you've ironically been sold up the river there because there's always going to be something somewhere or someone's changed the rules somewhere about x y and z and then Mm. it's uh, up to us to try and figure it out i I suppose then really we've gone as well things that you know we had it on one recently where when we got stuck it we plan and plan and plan and we try and mitigate risk as best we possibly can we have surveys done we have structural engineers reports we have every single conceivable risk mitigating report done that we can possibly do but we got on site and the chimneys needed to come down we would never have known that until the scaffold went up. So, you know, we had to just make a decision and, and that was an additional cost, but you have to put contingency in. And so it's things that are just, you could never account for. Um, but yeah, we try and mitigate risk, but it's, it is mitigating. It's not getting rid of it altogether. In, in terms of learning curves, as you say, let's not call them mistakes, let's call them learning curves. Can you give any other examples of things that you have learned from your experiences so just to give people what i'm trying to do here is give people sort of an understanding of as you just mentioned the chimney stacks there a great example just trying to give people an understanding of if you are developing because that's the whole nooks and crannies of the podcast we're talking about developing how to find stuff and you know what what the end game is so we'll go through that process in a bit mm-hmm. but yeah have you got other learning curves or things that have popped up that you wouldn't have known and and things that clients have learned from um yeah loads <laughs> Um, you know there are things to do really early on in a project that's something we've learned quite recently um services getting services new services connected is a very long process and one of our jobs in hove admittedly again slightly outside of our control due to um, the pandemic they wouldn't come to site they wouldn't come and visit the services providers, so the gas, electric, drainage, water, they wouldn't come to site um, because we were in a lockdown. And that meant that there was an extended period of time where the site's actually finished, but it's got no electric, it's got no gas, everything's there ready to go. Um, And that we learned from that, that we need to think about services sooner than we already were and that we were we think about it quite early on but and you can never account for a pandemic um but or maybe you can now um but the but but we're sitting with an almost finished site that we could be renting out that's costing us money but because of that extended period of time and because ultimately we didn't do it soon enough for that project um you've got to get that in earlier um what else um make sure you know and this is kind of complete other end of the spectrum when you're putting a paint color on the wall how that's going to last so the one we've just done in worthing the west buildings project which is all over our social media at the moment 
looks amazing and we've gone for a petrol blue finish but you only have to brush past that wall and it marks so and that when you're renting out a property isn't really ideal so it looks amazing and we've we've found a way around it we've put an extra coat on it and that's made it better and all these sorts of things but dark you know you have to make sure that the finish of the paint so that's a matte finish and not a it's just the way the paint is put on the wall essentially um so you have to so that's everything from one end of the spectrum to the other um think about your target market really seriously um it's an often often quite a um grapple between our sourcing department which is essentially the bit that my business partner andy manages and our lettings team which is the paper profit of the project might be better to have a hmo in it because that the commercial value of that will be better but not if it doesn't rent because the target market isn't there so we have to find a marriage between the two quite often and that's often a conversation point as well so there's 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 all sorts of things that we that we do and we have to learn um so yeah yeah it reminds me of a conversation i had recently with a a valuer up in hull um looking at Looking at block of flats and that that they didn't uh, that didn't go through. And I had a chat with the valuer, you know, about it afterwards, and it's like okay. And he said, well, you know, the area that it's in is is primed for HMO students. This that this that this that. Yeah, it's in the Article Four area. And uh, pretty much said to him, you've never met whole city council, have you? Because there's no way <laughs> they'd allow it. Absolutely, categorically zero way they'd allow that because they're anyway. That different story for different time, but so they're all learning curves, as as you say about knowing your market and that's about doing your research and that's about um employing professionals to advise you and we've constantly got a team of extended professionals um that we check everything with to make sure again coming back to that making sure we mitigate the risk as best we can and we're going for setting ourselves up to for success rather than failure essentially because there's plenty of people who just go oh i think i could build this beautiful design-led property but if it's not going to get passed, you're going to waste a lot of time and money. Uh, absolutely. I, I agree with that. Start with the end in mind, as, as they say, and surround yourself with the right professionals. So if we're going from, we're going from A to Z then, because, you know, having a good look through, through the website, you do do a multitude of, of things, you know, developments, HMOs, et cetera. Is it okay to run through what is your target market? And then let's go through the, the start to end game of, a, a development for example how, how do you find it what goes on and just so people have an understanding of what they would need to do should they be thinking about getting involved in developments and um, our target market is <laughs> it's it depends on the property it depends on the location and we cover you mentioned that we're sort of based in brighton but we do cover quite a lot of the south coast um, and something which we look in Bogner or Littlehampton will have a completely different target market to Brighton or Eastbourne. Um, and what we try to do with us, so the, these two things probably go hand in hand, but so the first port of call when we're looking for a property is we highlight a location that we're interested in and we either um, engage with local agents or we will look for an individual property that we see may have potential for development and we will do a direct owner marketing campaign to that. Um, Part of that selection criteria is 
it's we categorize it as ABC. So is it an A, B or C location? So an A location is right in the center of town, um, on the seafront, that you know, near to amenities, near to a train station or a hospital, that sort of thing. And then sort of it gets it moves out to their B and C locations. And then we look at what our local research pound per square foot is for that specific area. We'll look at that property and we'll do a desktop valuation on it. So we already know before we've even gone to look at it, what the pound per square foot bricks and mortar valuation would be. Um, Then we look at what the target market is. So in those central locations, those A locations, we are targeting more often than not professional sharers. Um, and I use those words quite specifically because they used to be called young professionals. Um, and what we found is that certainly in the last year to 18 months, those young professionals, in inverted commas, are actually people who perhaps are in their mid to late 30s, who are self-employed, who can't necessarily afford to rent an entire unit, like a one-bedroom flat or a two-bedroom flat for themselves, and want to live in really good quality, stylish, design designed accommodation in central locations. And they want to be in shared accommodation. And it's a totally different demographic to what you think it, a lot of people think it is. We actually also target students um, and that's a completely different location altogether and a completely different selection criteria. Um, And in sort of early 2019, we saw certainly in centre of Brighton, the student demographic and the student accommodation for the private landlord was becoming the sort of further down the rung of the ladder, if you like, because um, the local universities were building purpose-built student accommodation. And what that meant was is that we had to quite quickly look at what we were targeting for our landlord clients and for ourselves and also repurpose those properties that we had that were student accommodation and make sure they were competing well. So as part, you know, the target market really does depend on the location. And then the process is initially we go through this selection criteria. Then we'll view the property either with the agent or direct with the seller. So we'll write to them and if we get a positive response, we'll, we'll engage with them more formally, go and have a look. And then we will um, do an appraisal. And that appraisal is based on the aforementioned pound per square foot value of its current bricks and mortar. The basic refurbishment cost that we think it's going to be, if it's a conversion um, or build cost, if it's a plot of land or anything like that, um, the gross development value, the GDV that we think it's going to be at the end. And then that gives us, we have a formula built and that gives us what the maximum price is that we could possibly pay for that property. And then we start the negotiation process. Um, and it, that's, that's often the bit that takes the longest. Some of the stuff that we're negotiating on at the moment, we've been negotiating on since last March since the beginning of the pandemic um, or the lockdown anyway, um, and we still not got that agreed. More, I talk about the target market and the sort of the professional sharers and the student sharers. There is sort of a second arm to what we do, which is land and development. And they're two very different things. Um, 
new build is a completely different animal <laughs> to conversion of existing properties. And at the moment, those conversion properties, we're really focusing on mixed use to take advantage of some of the use class changes and things like that. So, In, in a nutshell, there's it's not just a, a simple case of go go pick a property, oh, that's fine, and crack on with it. There's a lot of homework. And I think this is sometimes, I don't know if you've had this with the clients that you've worked out, but certainly from what I've seen around about on the internet, some people think that, oh, you just turn up, yeah, I've just bought that, I'm just going to convert this. But actually, you can open up a whole web of different things, especially if you then sort of, you know, don't have an understanding or the necessary professionals around that, you know, to do with planning you know, Article 4 areas, you know, what's the area? Yeah, so there's a whole, there is a whole multitude of things, not just, yeah, buy property, just convert it, happy days. There's a lot of other things to consider. Definitely. And that, it comes with, you know, Andy and I can now pretty much look at a property and know what it's going to, what, what the numbers are going to come out as. But we still do that process. We still go through that process. And there are times when we sit down together and because we do make the decision together on any property that we're going to buy and we go and Andy will go to me or I'll go to him, but I really like it. But if it doesn't work on the spreadsheet, it doesn't work on the spreadsheet. And we, we have to check each other sometimes. Um, sometimes what that means is, is that our gut is telling us something. So sometimes we'll go, okay, is there another way to look at this? Is there a different way to skin this cat? Is there something that's telling us this might work? And that is when we do sort of bring in our extended team as well. And we'll we'll talk to the planning consultants and we'll use um, Gareth and Jonathan at Whaleback. And I can't speak highly enough of them. Um, and we'll say, we feel like this has got something, guys. What do you think could be done with it? And they'll either go, don't be silly. This, do not get involved in this. This is going to cause the biggest headache ever. Or well, have you thought about this? And then we then we bring in the architects, and then we bring in the project manager, and we you know. And sometimes it's a case of we just know there's something about that property, and sometimes we'll go through that process still and go, no, there really isn't anything, and we have to walk away from it. And and that's comes back to what I was saying about those long negotiations. Sometimes it works at a certain level but not at the level that, that is, is wanted from the owner or that, you know, often we're buying from, com from companies or anything like that. You know, the whole board needs to decide on it. Sometimes it's just a case of we'll keep that in our mind or on our kind of spreadsheet of things we're looking at because if policy and planning changes it might open something else up on that project so we're always talking to lots of different people about how we can make projects work but it's um it's not just as simple as going to have a look and I think that's something which I learned was quite different from how estate agents look at projects and it and that was quite a steep learning curve for me when I I came to work with Andy and looking at things in a different way was it's just, you know, an agent will go, oh, you can you can refurb it for 25 grand, but it's never 25 grand and it, it, they don't take into consideration necessarily the planning and the this and the that and what it's going to add. And they'll go, oh, it's a it's an 8% yield. That's fabulous. And well, by the time you've done all your costs, it's actually more like a 4% yield. And then, you know, the banks are saying they won't lend on anything that's less than a 7% yield at the moment. And, it, you know, there's all these factors to consider. So there's, 
yeah, it takes quite a long time. Any one negotiation, even on something really simple, like a two-bedroom flat that we want to make a four-bedroom HMO, for example, that can take probably three weeks to, to assess and, uh, and negotiate. That's probably the minimum time that we would take to assess something. In terms of structuring, in terms of structuring deals, and again, most people that listen to the podcast have a very good understanding of of property terms. So I'm not trying to, you know, dumb this down in any way whatsoever. Just doing it for the people that might not know these terms. When when it comes to buying a deal, effectively, is your strategy? Oh, you know, we'll just, you know, do you buy cash? Do you buy, you know, blend of, you put deposit down, bank finances the rest or bridging or whoever finances the rest? Or have you ended up joint venturing JV with landowners, even if it wasn't the plan in the first place? Or do you do all of the above? I mean, the quick answer is all of the above. Um, the more detailed answer is the... It's about leveraging your cash leveraging you, leveraging your time, leveraging your experience to do as many deals as you possibly can without overstretching yourself financially or in terms of time or exposure. So more often than not, we won't buy cash. There are instances where we have to, um, and we always make sure that we have the ability to back up anything. Any deal we're doing, we'll, we'll make sure we've got a way of buying it if funding doesn't happen because one of mine and Abby's, you know core um kind of morals really is if we offer on something we want to perform on it and it has to be a really 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 good reason for us not to um, and that can't be our fault so it needs to be you know nailed on for funding or we have to have a backup plan um, but at the moment it's quite cheap to borrow money. <laughs> um, and if you have experience and you have um, a structure of how you're stacking your deals behind you, then banks, family offices, private investors, um, development financers want to give you money. They want to do the deals with you. And as as developers who are growing and want to grow quite quickly and we have a target in mind for this year of how many we want to do how many properties we want to own how many we want to sell we can use our experience and and time and leverage to utilize that funding available to us um so more often than not we'll probably go down the route of either putting in a small amount of equity ourselves um, and um, getting development finance or bridging plus development finance um, because often the stuff we're buying doesn't have planning because we want to add the value or it doesn't have, you know, we've got to do something before the development finance becomes available to us. Um, but we're also working with private investors to top up on equity and we're also doing crowdfunding as well, which is quite an interesting area of funding that we're getting into at the moment. In, in terms of 
so I've lost myself there. So I told you I'd mess up first. We were joking about this off air, by the way, um, saying that it'd be me that either loses my my place or, or say something inappropriate first. So I'll hold my hands up to that. It's me. I just cocked up. It's fine. We'll keep it in for... We don't want to edit it that out because that's always fun and games. But the question I was going to ask, and I'm hoping I'm not going to yeah, fuck this up this time, pardon my French, is in terms of project numbers and deals done, as you say, reputation in in that area is critically important. I mean, if I was, I know if I was sat here with half a million quid and someone said, oh, yeah, it's the first one I've done and this and that, I'd be, you know, mm, I'd be a bit not sure about that. But if someone said, oh, actually, it's the 50th project I've done, you know, I'm still enthusiastic about it, blah, 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 you know, that more proof to the pudding as such. So it does lead me to the simple question of how many projects have Target 5 done so far um, in their lifetime? So for clients and for ourselves, Target 5 is probably approaching 400 development projects. That will range anything from a one-bedroom flat converting it into a two-bedroom flat all the way up to, I think, the building... Ten, nine houses and everything in between. So, and that's since Andy started it in 2016. So it was quite a, quite a lot of projects. Um, and yeah, um, yeah, that's, definitely, yeah, you definitely get more. The more you, the more you do, the better the the investment offerings you get. Um, but you still there's still an element of risk as well. You know, there's always, uh, as we said right at the beginning of the discussion, it you know there will always be problems, and you have to. It's easier to feel confident in somebody that's probably been through fifty problems than somebody who's never had to deal with one, and that, and that's that. You know, but the other thing that we do is we like to help people who have never done it use our experience. And that's part of kind of the service part of what we do, where we we help clients invest in properties because we do a lot ourselves, but it's not the only thing we do. We help clients buy properties and we project manage them and we handhold new investors and we do JVs with people who haven't done it before so that they can almost piggyback off of our experience to get the better um funding options for them as well so yeah the the, the reputation there is, is crucial and that, and that model's interesting as well as something that was touched upon on the podcast uh, last week with uh, kevin whelan who mentioned a, a similar model of well if someone's got x in the bank you know there could be that jv process where you're not just paying for training or stuff like that you are literally you know a hand-holding experience as you've uh, as you've put it when 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 andy and yourself started out with target five started out going to go back on the reputation aspect of it was it difficult funding wise to do the first couple because there isn't that reputation and has that become easier over time or was that not an issue when you started and if not why not so when it went up just to be clear i joined andy he started the business with a previous business partner and i joined him further down the line um but you know andy and i talk about this quite a lot but when he started target five it was very much set up to service the needs of some high net worth individuals so it wasn't necessarily that we were that he was buying stuff 
as target five then. Um, it was more a service-led type thing. Um, and then very quickly off the back of that, he and his then ex-business partner started to buy some themselves. And it sort of naturally happened. <laughs> and there were some opportunities where it was, oh, well, we'll put a bit of money into that deal so to make it work. And, we'll, and it sort of grew into JV and then it grew into doing it ourselves. And we made a very specific, and I can remember the day, decision and it was only probably 18 months ago to, to start waiting up buying stuff for ourselves as opposed to buying stuff for clients. Um, we still do the clients um, things and we have sort of a top top 10 and we really only do deal with about 10 investors at any one time in terms of buying their own projects now because we we do we did make the decision to focus on our own projects but we are speaking to new investors all the time as well and if a project comes up for a new investor we don't you know we're not we're not we're not too mean about it we do we do um, do offer out for new investors as well um but you know there was a very specific discussion around what are we going to do that's going to be different to leverage our experience and our knowledge to be more profitable. And ultimately that, that was our business decision, you know, 18 months ago was we have been doing this for clients and making them lots and lots of money. Why, why aren't we doing it for this for ourselves? And actually it's sort of a, um, and I don't want to be um, too blase about this, but you know, it was sort of a happy byproduct of, the lockdown and uh, and the pandemic is we had to find a way a lot of clients decided I might not buy as much because I need to batten down my hatches and that's absolutely fine but we we the, the sort of byproduct of that is that we we had a load of property being offered to us because people wanted to sell still because they needed to release equity they needed to release cash out of their properties and and there was a, a, a real market change in the commercial high streets and how they were changing. And there was an opportunity to buy property at a very good price. And we needed to pivot and we needed to find a way to be more profitable. Um, and we, you know, as I say, I, I remember the conversation. It was a Zoom call because we were both in our respective lockdowns. And we sat and we spoke about it and we said, right, well, let, let's do it. Let's find, let, let's buy them ourselves. Let's let's become our own client essentially um there is an element of we still want to deal with clients of course we do it's what we do it's what our, our roots are about and and it, it and it would be foolish not to be um you know kind of strategic about that and and make sure we, we've got two two lines of income essentially but it it's proving touch wood to be really really profitable and really interesting and what we're now able to do is offer opportunities to people to invest with us rather and and come along for the journey with us rather than as I say us kind of building other people's portfolios and we're sort of building a bit more of a, a portfolio around us rather than other people now. Uh, that's awesome and, and things you know great things do sometimes take time you, you know oak trees grow from acorns and all all the, all the necessary cliches that i can add there that i'm not going to even though i have just done that twice i'm not going to add any more 
I, I guess the question that I like to ask and um, sort of look to wrap this up in, in due course, we're hitting the 40 minute mark. All of what you've said is fantastic. You know, I love it. It's great. It's super. I'm sure people listen to this and are like, oh, this is, you know, this is amazing. Great content. Thank you very much. But what is all of this in aid of? What, what's the end goal? Is there an end goal? Uh, what keeps you going? <laughs> um, I think to answer that, and I think I probably speak for Andy and I, <laughs> is I sort of need to go right back to the beginning of our discussion. I fell in love with property at age 16. And there is something about it that just I can't stop doing it. Um, and I've tried. <laughs> um, I, I tried to go and do something different for six months and that just, oh God, it was awful. Um, but we both want to create a life for our families, a life for us that is balanced and property, it's about a work-life balance. And, you know, that there is nothing more valuable than time. And by buying property and creating a future income for myself and my family through property, and I am therefore, I'm giving myself time back in the future. Um, and I think anybody who's thinking about getting into property now, just find a way to do it because there there really is and we could you know by all means get in touch we'll happily have conversations with you about how to do it um andy and i both are always really happy to have discussions with people but it's sort of the i never like to use the word sure thing because nothing's a sure thing but it will serve you well if you do it right and we're also, the other thing that Andy and I really wanted to do, and when we made that decision, it was a key part of it, is create something for our teams that is sustainable and fun and help them to buy property and to create lives for them themselves, which is, is a different balance to the, and I think we've all discovered during the last weird year that we've had that there are a different ways of living our lives to what we've always thought there was. And I think property is one of the main ways you can do that. You don't have to sit in an office plugging away, making money for other people. There are ways of doing it yourself and it can start with a really small investment. It doesn't need to be huge money. It doesn't, you just have to know how to place your money well to make it grow and that's and that's what we're about is helping people do that and that's what we've done for ourselves yeah i think that's awesome to hear i mean it's it's a very you know with all due respect a very common thing to hear but it's also the most poignant thing to hear in the property industry as well people they're helping each other and i think it's if you're creating those win-win situations really that's probably the biggest thing to take away from that i'd add couple of things to that would be, I think it was Benjamin Franklin that said the only certainties in life are death and taxes. Yeah. Fair play. <laughs> uh, although I'd, I'd, I'd argue with the latter if you're strategic and efficient enough, I'd argue with the latter, but that's a conversation <laughs> for a different time. Sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll put that as diplomatically as possible as I'll get in hot water. And uh, the second point, I've completely forgot what it is, so I'm not going to say any more on that. Uh, in terms of people, what 
getting in touch as you mentioned yourself Andy happy to have a, a chat and you know obviously you're, you're building life legacies for yourself through Target 5 and your power team and a multitude of people around you so fantastic ethos if people wanted to have a chat with you get in touch with you Tina how do people do that yeah um, happy have a look on our Target 5 Instagram page we're really active on there um, get in touch through that and one of us will happily get in touch back also my LinkedIn page um, Tina Wenham um, happy for people to connect with me through that and, and message me and we'll we'll get in touch and we'll set up a call and see how we can help you start start getting involved in property fantastic stuff and if people do get in contact with you for that uh, please do mention the Property Nomads podcast it keeps a track of where people come from always find that's useful as well certainly for our internal feedback as well uh, and as usual we'll put links to those social medias in our show notes for the episode as well uh, just time to say uh, Tina thank you very much for your time uh, really informative and hopefully people have got a lot of value about uh, sort of things they should be looking at in their business in terms of ethoses etc but also looking at target markets and, and all the stuff behind the scenes that might not be obvious that hopefully people can take that away and help to improve their property journeys and their businesses moving forward brilliant thank you so much